Good. Good, good. Now that I've got that out. <laughs> Was that your impersonation of watching our double feature? <laughs> yeah. It hurt a little more than I expected it to. Uh, well, b- before we start jumping into the pain, yeah. Um, did you watch anything for pleasure uh, over this last week? No, I was actually... <laughs> Everything was for pain? Pretty much, yeah. Am because... I sucking you into my obsessive <laughs> cinematic world? No. Where... I Yeah, I wanted to try and catch up with the um, with just some Schumacher films that I haven't seen. So I did watch a couple of those, which we'll touch on. Okay. Um, but mostly, yeah, I guess for pleasure, I'm really enjoying still going through... Star Trek The Next Generation, and mm. then listening to The Greatest Generation right afterwards. Are you watching the show along with the Yeah, podcast? I'll watch a show, and then I'll listen to the podcast. Oh, that's what I'm doing with the West Wing Weekly. Okay. So. It's kind of fun. It is kind of fun. Except I, I'm getting too obsessive about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, West Wing Weekly only puts out one episode per week. Uh, so what I'll do is watch the episode of The West Wing before listening to the podcast. Oh, okay. And then I'll watch it again a day or two later oh, okay. to see if it enriches it at all. I see. So. No, I'm just watching the episode and then immediately after listening oh, okay. to the podcast. And I'm doing it two-pronged. I'm actually listening to the new episodes as they come out mm-hmm. and watching them. And then also going through starting from season one. So I just oh, started okay. season two last night. Okay. So, yeah. I, it's... Hard because you know it's like forty five minutes for the show, yeah, and then it's like another forty five minutes to an hour for the podcast. Especially the, that first season of TNG, yeah. it's it, it not it's not like they hit the ground running. No, there's some real stinkers in that. Yeah, that I haven't seen too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought I'd seen. I'm actually surprised going through this every single episode. I'm really I'm realizing that there is. There are a few blind spots that I have in that series that I didn't think I had. That's uh, me and Bob's Burgers. I, I spent most of the oh, weekend watching Bob's Burgers. God, I love that show. It's really easy to watch. <laughs> like, the the plots are, like, really quick-paced. Yeah. And they never linger. And, like, all the characters have, like, strong dynamics. Yeah. And, like, strongly defined personalities with, like, original voices. So, yeah, I don't know. It's and really there's so much heart. It's, like... It's yeah. what The Simpsons was in the 90s, in yeah. a way. Yeah, that's a good like, way to put it, yeah. Where it's like, the the core of the show was the family unit, the heart, and the love that they all felt for each other. Yeah. And you could go on these wacky, crazy tangents, yeah. but it always came back to that. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And I, that's what I like about Bob's Burgers right now. Yeah. And it's always just so warm, it always makes me feel good. I, I always laugh at some point. Yeah. The yeah. songs are always amazing when There's they do There's a lot those. of songs. There was one season where I think they did one for every episode. I want to say it's season four. Even in season one, like, there's at least, like, an original tune. Like, it might just be, like, over the end credits or something right. like that. But I feel like almost, ep- like, there's not, like, standard, like, end credit music. Like, every That's end right. credit has, different. like, something different. But I thought I had seen most of the show. Like, I'd missed out on, like, the last couple seasons. But I yeah. figured, like, seasons one through three, like, would just be a rehash and I realized I hadn't seen, like, the first four episodes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of other episodes in season one that I hadn't seen either. So it was sort of a shock. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's fun. Yeah. A little gold. Yeah. I, uh, whenever I see the opening credits or whenever the burger of the day, yeah. like, I can just imagine that writer's room <laughs> is just, they just have a list, a running list. Uh, I've seen all, like, the prime uh, seasons of, simpsons i've watched all the episodes with commentary mm-hmm. 
And, like, one of their favorite things to do was, like, come up with, like, movie titles and stuff like that. Oh, nice. That, like, existed only inside the Simpsons worlds. Uh, so it was, like, they would, like, spend a lot of time coming up with, like, the sign, like the signs of, like, a business or, like, the right. marquee um, outside the school and stuff like that. Like, they would rack their brains for hours trying to come up with, like, the perfect little, like, quick joke for that sort of stuff. Yeah, and that was that was kind of the first show to do that, too, you know, to just have, like, that visual gag quick. Up yeah. front, like a marquee outside the church or something like that. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. I'm just going to assume it was. I mean, that was definitely the, like, the big one that always rotated, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, you know, the names of the businesses, like Stoner's Pot Palace. Right. <laughs> Take me to all your baseball cards, Android's Dungeon. <laughs> Turn your head and quaff the salon. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good. Yeah, solid. <laughs> and they're only on the screen for like half a second, yeah. so you got to pay attention. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's where Mitch Hurwitz got his ideas, too, for mm, mm-hmm. rest of development. Just, like, cram it full Just every second. shove it in there. <laughs> I'm going to make you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I watched uh, Paul Verhoeven's latest film. Oh, L? Yeah. I've heard really good things. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It, you know, I don't know how many of Verhoeven's erotic thrillers you've seen. Mm, a handful. Yeah, I mean, he's only got like probably five or six of them. Yeah. So, you know, Basic Instinct, Black Book, Showgirls. Showgirls, yeah. Um, and, you know, this is firmly in line of a woman using her sexuality to like ruin everything around her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and A theme of his. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, at least his erotic thrillers. Uh, you know, maybe they're in his sci fi movies. I haven't looked that closely at them, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't think Robocop used his sexuality. <laughs> I'm picturing like Sharon Stone in Total Recall or something like that, but no, not mm. even that. Yeah, I don't think so. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty solid. Um, it, it was pretty interesting, you know, a woman gets art in her home, and instead of like calling the police, she sort of embraces it. Hmm. And, you know, kind of lures the prowler like to try it again Ooh. uh and it kind of becomes like a thing between the two of them Ooh. uh it yeah she she it's also sort of psychosexual she owns like the uh isabel uber uh-huh. she is like the ceo of this like hentai video game company <laughs> okay uh so it's like you know they're trying to come up with like a new big game and there, you know, there's a scene where the woman isn't orgasmic enough as the tentacles are raping her and stuff like that. So, wow. Okay, yeah. this sounds really good, actually. It was. It was pretty good. I definitely recommend it. Uh, what was that movie? It sounds a little bit like Demon Lover. Mm-hmm. In a way. Yeah, because that had also like hentai video game. Okay. Rape stuff. Okay, good. Just making sure. Yes. I remember uh, that was that dates back to our origins. I think that was the first one you recommend, or the first one I watched of the ones you recommend. Okay, because yeah. I remember I, I you your ears perked at Gina Gershon. <laughs> uh, She's always a mark of mm, not quality. <laughs> yeah, definitely not quality, <laughs> but something. Something. <laughs> <laughs> I usually want to watch it if she's there. Uh, but I remember after you, when you watched it, you said that you lost interest after her, <laughs> spoiler alert, her character dies. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you said you just checked out after that. Mm, that's too bad. Maybe I should revisit. 
It's pretty good. I watched it, I don't know, a year or two ago again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was solid. Okay. Uh, but I, I couldn't help but make that connection, too, that both, like, about, like, women who own these video game rape companies. <laughs> That's funny because now now that I'm thinking about it, when you were talking about her kind of welcoming the rape, I was thinking about Straw Dogs, mm. which there's, like, that weird rape scene in that movie, um, which also you recommended to me now that I'm thinking about oh, it. Oh, did I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite Peckinpah. Yeah. And it was a good movie. It was solid. But man. that scene is really... Yeah, because she starts, like, smiling during it. or it looks Yeah, and like she kisses him. Yeah. Like, it's sort of... I mean, that's not any kind of sign of consent or anything like that, but it's definitely... Definitely makes it more... Well, in that... Twisted. If, if I remember correctly, Peckinpah viewed Dustin Hoffman's character as the villain. Because oh. he lets the situation get to a point where he can become violent towards his aggressors. Okay. So... If if we're going inside that theme, what probably, you know, at least going through Peckinpah's head mm-hmm. was that she let that assault happen. She wanted it to happen. Oh. But yeah, it's not the most savory of <laughs> I've also heard, like, a million reports of Sam Peckinpah was, like, the biggest sexist, like, in the film industry at the time. So, so weigh that how yeah. you want. <laughs> you know... I don't know, it goes back to that question, you know, if the director didn't intend it to be there, is it there at all? Or right. if like, the author, you know, did intend it, does that mean that it's actually there? Yeah. I'm an I'm a firmly in the author is dead. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think we take it for how you want and you can interpret it however you want and I don't care what you were trying to do. Sure. If I don't see that, then <laughs> it's too it's bad. Not <laughs> That's not there. Yeah, because there's definitely some things where there's it's so full of meaning, so mm-hmm. pithy. That I feel like it has to be an accident. Yeah. No one could have designed it to be that way. Yeah. I put Robocop in that camp. <laughs> like, I just, I don't think that he could have consciously. Yeah. You know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it just moved through him. Yeah, I was going to say. He didn't make the movie. He turned yeah. off the <laughs> analytical part of his brain and just felt it yeah. the whole way through. Yeah. Possible. Be. Sure. Why not? Mm, yeah. Our scenes. <laughs> Oh boy, are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna introduce ourselves? Yeah, sure. <laughs> ah! um, welcome, fair listener. This is X-rated. I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon. And I hope you know what you're getting yourself into with this episode. So this is episode ten, the big X. Uh, this is also <laughs> this is also the first episode of Matt throwing Ryan under the bus. Because I am not taking any credit for this double feature. <laughs> I thought this was your idea. Yeah, no. I'm, this is this is what it feels like to get thrown under the bus. Oh my god. Alright, well I'm going to find that text message exchange. Because you know those don't go away. And we'll find out whose idea this really was. We decided to do a double feature for our 10th episode. Ten. And we're doing two. One's not enough. Joel Schumacher films. And what the hell? 
Let's do his two Batman movies. Uh, why not? You know, we like camp. Or at least we thought we did. <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure about that anymore. So uh, this week we're doing Batman. <laughs> can't even say it. Batman Forever mm-hmm. and Batman and Robin. Oh. I guess we should probably do them. Do you want to do them one movie, one movie, or just kind of all over? Um. Well, let's let's start sequentially and see where it takes us. Sure. That first one sure did feel like it was going on forever. <laughs> did you steal that from the witty, you know, film critic handbook? <laughs> I'm sure I read it. <laughs> it's like it's like whenever I hear like a review of the band Garbage, and like someone's just like, "It sure is," and like they're so proud of themselves. <laughs> I mean, I'll take the low hanging fruit. Why not? <laughs> Batman Forever was. Totally watchable. Like, I don't think I was ever bored during that movie. Sure. But last week you mentioned that initially Brad Dorff was going to play the Scarecrow. Scarecrow. I know. When Tim Burton was scheduled to do a third entry. And I couldn't help but feel that Jim Carrey's Riddler was just sort of a, a reappropriated Scarecrow. Maybe, yeah. I feel like... You know, sort of the invasive getting into people's thoughts and minds and stuff like that was really more akin to Scarecrow than it is to the Riddler. Actually, you're right, yeah. Uh, And, you know, the I mean, the Riddler was always sort of, like, slim or slender, but I feel like the Scarecrow was really, like, the skinny, whirling dervish type. Yeah. Which is what they made the Riddler out to be. I think they were trying, at least, I remember this as a kid, um thinking they did the Joker in the first one, they did Catwoman and the Penguin in the second one, and then, like, Batman, at least in the original TV series, other big nemesis was the Riddler, and so that's why I was assuming mm. they included him in this one, is to get those four mm. in there. But um, I I see what you're saying, where they, like, maybe it's like, oh, Brad Dourif's not doing it, we're doing Jim Carrey now, we should do something different. Yeah, and it really felt like they tailor-made like the Riddler's speech to like or like his dialogue sure to Jim Carrey's style of humor it was really bad I know he's all over it was like they put Ace Ventura <laughs> and like you're playing Edward Nigma today like, yeah that's the funny thing though is that like he's almost over the top oh he's constantly I mean over the top 11. for for Jim Carrey he, in this movie yeah. you know like it's almost a cartoon of himself. It was it was rough. He's just. I mean, the scene. There was no scenery. He he ate it all, every time. Just chomp chomp. Shoot away. Uh, no, I totally agree with you. Like even when he's in like his like mild alter ego stage. Yeah. He's still just like over the top. Yeah. Even by the confines of the movie itself, he's like out of it. <laughs> uh, and, and oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, he is sort of matched by Tommy Lee Jones's way cuckoo Two-Face. Maybe I've just seen The Dark Knight too many times. Yeah. And I, I'm sort of, or like Batman the Animated Series, and I'm used to sort of that like deathly serious Two-Face. Mm-hmm. So this sort of jovial joking Two-Face just... It felt like a rehash of the Joker. Yeah, To me. It, and like a real air saps Joker, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't... He's pretty pointless as a villain. His origin story was a joke. Did you see that? It's like 
They Val Kilmer watching him, and it's what, what was Batman doing in the courtroom? <laughs> yeah, I, I always, like as a kid, I was wondering that was Batman just sitting in the courtroom, <laughs> like listening to the proceedings. He's got like a crossword puzzle for the boring parts, <laughs> just waiting. I mean, it was he's one weakest. of those artists drawing. Yeah. <laughs> it was so it was such a weak origin story. It was really bad, and um, I don't know. I, I before before I forget, I want to say that. We, we, you know, Jim Carrey is over the top, mm-hmm. but I almost feel like he's a little bit at home in this, in what Joel Schumacher was going for with these yeah. Batman movies. Like, he was going, I think, for a little more of a cartoony, campy edge. Yeah. And I think Jim Carrey and maybe Ed Begley Jr. Mm-hmm. kind of know what movie they're in. Like, I loved when Ed Begley came in and said, what are you doing? It was like... <laughs> So jokey. I mean, and it worked for some reason. It was that was okay, but like everybody else, I feel like doesn't know what this movie is supposed to be or right like, where they are. Any scene between Val Kilmer and Nicole Kidman, it like the whole movie slows down. Yeah, and it's just like nobody cares about the romance. What like, is she even doing in the movie? <laughs> standing around like all the women in this movie. You got Drew Barrymore and. Debbie Mazar, yeah. Yeah. Standing around. Like... No, wait, that's the fourth one. No, 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 no you're right. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, God, they're going to blend together now. Um, yeah, and Drew Barrymore gets really high billing. Did you notice that? She's like six billed. Is she really? Yeah, something crazy. Matching the number of lines she has? <laughs> I mean, she was hot in 1995, so it, maybe well, she could demand more. It's sort of weird, like... So she had, like, her big heyday in, like, the mid-80s. Like, after E.T., she had, like, a string of, like, other movies. Like, she was in Firestarter and Cat's Eye. And and then she went to rehab when she was, like, 11. Right. Uh, I remember when I was watching Firestarter and Cat's Eye, because they're both Stephen King's things. Uh Uh-huh. I watched them in the same night. And I I was watching them with some people, and we're, like, we we were trying to figure out her, like, story as a youth like when did she go to rehab like you know what did she go to rehab for and it's like oh it turns out like on the set of firestarter she was constantly bombed like she was just drunk (laughs) the whole time uh and she's like how old in that movie she's like 10 in that movie. oh god and i i i very carefully googled like when did Drew Barrymore lose her virginity? Because <laughs> I was like, if she's going to rehab at like 11, 12, like what other crazy shit has she done? Yeah. But apparently she went to rehab before getting her V-card punched. Oh. Thank God. I was like... Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then she had this like little like renaissance, like post-rehab, but like she wasn't even 18 yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I love Poison Ivy. That's right! That movie's great. Yeah. And she's still, like, 17 in that, so, like, she can't even get naked, but she's, like, the seductress. Isn't... Who's the... Uh, Sarah Gilbert, isn't she the yeah. other girl in that? Better oh. known as Darlene from yeah. Roseanne. Yeah! Okay, okay. We're, uh, we're getting off the topic. I, so. okay. I'm gonna watch that again, though, now oh, that we're talking real good. about it. It's okay, real good. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, anyway, but, so, Yeah. It, yeah, it, it feels weird that, like, she gets high billing, but she's not in the movie at all. Yeah, like, she's barely... She doesn't have a name, I don't think. I, in the credits, it's sugar. Like, oh, right. It's sugar and spice, but they never actually say that. Right, that makes in sense. In the movie. One's, like, one side of Two-Face, the other. Because yeah. one's all angelic, and the other's, like, devilish, right? Like, looking at the movie, aesthetically, 
it still seems pretty rude in like the Tim Burton sense, but you can tell that Joel Schumacher's like, I don't want to do this gothic stuff. Like, I want to make it like the campy show. Yeah. Uh, he well, here's the problem that I have, and this go this spans both movies, is that. I mean, they're both just basically, like, excuses to make a bunch of huge set pieces. Mm-hmm. And he has a problem making them not look like a soundstage. I felt, I feel like I mm-hmm. can always see the walls of the, you know, warehouse that they're filming in. Whereas, like, okay, I, I'll, uh, I have to admit, after watching uh, Batman and Robin, I was like, I need a good Batman movie. So I watched Batman Returns just mm-hmm. to, like, kind of have some kind of comparison. Which and, I, I love that Batman. Yeah, movie. and... He, that one is like, you you know he's shooting on a soundstage too. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like it. Like, there's actually a tangible universe that he's kind of constructed. Yeah. Whereas Schumacher's just feels like Studio B, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah the, the Burtons, like, they are claustrophobic by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, watching Batman Returns next to, like, Dark Knight's not really a fair comparison. Right, right. Like, they're different movies. Yeah. Uh, but with, yeah, the Schumacher ones, like, it definitely feels like, yeah, they just wanted to make these big, glamorous sets and things like that. Like, yeah. you know, every ceiling's so high that it, you can't even see it in frame and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> but, but it feels old-fashioned, and it takes me out of the movie, because then I just see the, like, staging of everything, rather than, like, enjoying yeah. what he's presenting on that stage. Yeah. And... Like, right away, like, I think you texted me, like, when you were in, like, the first, like, five minutes of Batman Forever, and you're like, I think we made a mistake. Jesus. It starts with a joke. Like, that's how he opens the movie. What's the joke? It's like, you know, it does the whole weird credits, and then it comes in on Batman, and it shows the car. Oh, yeah. And then Alfred's like, oh, do you want to take your lunch? And he's like, I'll get drive through. Can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive through. Oh, that actually brings me to a point. Uh, so this movie, uh, you too had like "Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me" as right. like, the, like one of like the big songs in it, and I found it weird because like like the I'll get drive through was like oh well, this like this scene is set up specifically so like McDonald's yeah. can run the, a commercial yeah and I'm like it's so weird that like you two would like voluntarily like put like their name and like make a music video around. A movie that's like so commercialized when they like they came to fame by being like real like and oh, not yeah. selling out but like this is like one of the biggest sellout action figure drive through <laughs> like movies ever made yeah actually it's funny i didn't think about that with either of these movies but when they were coming out i was 15 and 16 respectively okay and watched a lot of mtv at the time sure. and was to- totally the, the you know demographic that they were aiming for maybe a little old for Batman and Robin, but um, just remembering all the marketing that they did. Like, yeah. I remember you'd get a McDonald's commercial and then you'd get like a commercial for the movie and then yeah. like something else that was involved with it. And yeah. it was just like, it was a blitz. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. You could not avoid this movie. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Schumacher ones I do feel are more homoerotic than the Burton ones. Yes. But the Batmobile is less phallic-shaped than the Burton ones. <laughs> I couldn't help but uh, notice Conundrum. that. Like, yeah, the Burton ones, it's shaped just like a penis. But, <laughs> you 
Yeah, Schumacher opts for just not enough standard race car. Yeah, he'd rather just do close-ups of. The I guess it's ribs suit. for somebody's pleasure, but <laughs> but you know beyond that. Yeah, it looks more like a sex toy in in Batman and Robin than that's in true. Batman for like a vibrator that has a bunny on it. Yeah, and like some spinning yeah. thing to it. Uh, <laughs> so at the very beginning, in like oh, the yeah, Two Face like showdown, and they're they're stuck in that safe. And then, like, acid starts coming out. Uh-huh. I'm like, God, that's a lot of forethought. And uh, the security guard's like, <gasps> boiling acid! <laughs> I was like, does the acid really need to be boiling? Isn't acid acidic enough by itself? I guess he wants it to hurt as a heat burn first, <laughs> and then a chemical burn. I like how that guy was narrating everything that was happening to him, too. Like, when his glasses fell in, he said, my glasses! <laughs> Thank you. For the blind and visually impaired. <laughs> yeah. Watching the movie. I wish that was me. <laughs> uh, I wish I was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you I, notice that Flaming Lips song? I did. Yeah. And I didn't know that it was in there before. It, when I was a kid. I don't think... I actually... I realized watching this this time through, I don't think I've seen that movie all the way through since the theater. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd seen it once and it... Like, it, it jolted me. I was like, oh, that's right. That's a Flaming Lips song. Yeah. But, I mean, it was well before the Flaming Lips got popular. Yeah. Well, that was right after Transmissions from the Satellite Heart, which had the Jelly song on it, which okay. was like a mild hit. Oh, okay. And then that song's off of Cloud's Taste Metallic, which came out right after that. Okay. I think. So, um, that was probably just like Warner Brothers' way, because, you know, it's a synergy situation Yeah. That, of being like, we've got this... Flaming Lips album. Let's you pick a song off this, and we'll put it on the movie to help market it. Yeah, it it so. was just so weird because like you know, I was definitely too young to really know about the Flaming Lips until Yoshimi. Like that came out when I was like sixteen or seventeen. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you know everything before that, which they had a like a long and storied career before yeah. Yoshimi came out. Uh, and this you know like predates Yoshimi by like five or six years. Yeah, about five years. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's weird to hear like a flaming lip song in like a movie like this. Yeah. Uh it was yeah, it felt really out of place. Yeah. I mean the lyrics kind of work cuz yeah. he says, you know, you can in your dreams you can kill your boss at your job and I think that's the scene where he throws Ed Begley Jr. off the root off the Yeah, it's like right before that. Yeah. Right before or after somewhere in there. Yeah, cuz he's like going home to his apartment when like the song starts yeah. and it's like his shitty little hovel. By the way, what is that Riddler character that he bases himself on? <laughs> There's no explanation for why he's like, oh yeah, I'll be this question mark guy who's clearly from the original Batman series. Yeah. <laughs> like, why Why is that even a thing? Yeah, it's like, it, it's a fortune teller type thing that you would see at like Pike Place Market or yeah. like a Carnival or something. But, like, it doesn't... We have no backstory. Ha- He's just ha- a fan of it for some reason. It, and yeah, and it, it only has two settings, like, no and question mark. <laughs> Which is how I feel about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that actually really sums up well my feelings. No, no. Uh, what? No. <laughs> so, you know how last week I mentioned that this movie had a, played an integral role in my sexual awakening? Yes. I think it's time to mention that. Um, so, I had a, um, as a 15-year-old, mm-hmm. I, I had a strong 
feeling towards Chris O'Donnell? Uh, I'm sure it couldn't match the strong feeling I had watching it just this week. <laughs> but it was it was definitely one of those feelings of like you know I'm just starting to come into my own blossom mm-hmm. as a young man mm-hmm. and seeing him everywhere because he was also in Mad Love starring Drew Barrymore which came out that year which was also all over MTV so he was pretty inescapable but I just remember constantly seeing him and thinking he seems really cool <laughs> I think he's really cool I think Chris O'Donnell's a cool guy and then it somewhere along the line actually I know exactly where it was because I watched it in Batman Forever when they're showing the the um, flying Graysons yeah and he's in those tights and yeah, flipping yeah. around yeah and all those butt shots yeah I just kind of realized I think I'm gay <laughs> <laughs> suddenly you're you're Tina from Bob's Burgers and you're just like what? yeah <laughs> or I was thinking Ralph Wiggum from the Simpsons movie when Bart goes by uh, on the skateboard oh. and goes, I like men now <laughs> so Joel Schumacher made me gay <laughs> bottom line <laughs> so the relationship between the Riddler and Two-Face uh-huh. is oddly close. <laughs> they embrace a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of grabbing each other. And... A, lot of, a lot of arms around one another. And in the like the party scene when like Nygma is in like Nygma mode right. and Two-Face crashes it. Right. And Nygma's all like, your entrance was good, his was better. Yeah. It's, it, they have this like little bickering thing, like an old married couple. A little bit, like, yeah. They're, they're bantering back and forth, just, you know, Tommy Jones is like, you know, typical like butch, I don't care, I'm going to have my drink. And then like Riddler is like the, the hen pecking wife mm-hmm. in the situation. Do you think that's a, uh, a director's choice? I kind of think so. Even their first encounter, like when Riddler breaks into like their lair and it's like oh. sugar and spice. Oh, and, right, right, right. Okay, okay, okay. And Two-Face comes up and, like, points, like, the big gold gun on his face. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a scene where, like, Jim Carrey's, like, holding his mouth open to the gun for, like, a long time. You're right. It's like... And they stay really close during that whole scene. Like, their mm-hmm. faces are, like, next to each other. They have this big set piece and they choose to, like, be, like, chest to chest. That's right. Just groin to groin the whole time. Well, this brings me to a a bigger thing I, I have about this movie, mm-hmm. and this is absolute speculation, and there's no way to prove this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I wonder if this is the genesis of using the term gay as a pejorative, because, you know, Batman was a really cool thing, mm-hmm. and then Joel Schumacher came in, and I, I don't think you can deny the fact that he sexualized the male form no. A Batman, especially, I mean, like, with butt shots and the things like shots, that. Yeah. yeah, so it's sort of like, he definitely, at least, like, if not, you know, you want to call that gay, you can call it, like, sexualizing the male form in this movie. Like, I, I just imagine these, like, older teenage boys getting really excited and going mm. singing and just be like, that was gay. And then, like, younger children who would later grow up to be millennials, <laughs> their, you know, siblings hearing their older, you know, siblings calling something gay that was once cool, and now they, like, define it as stupid. I feel because like... this movie is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like calling something gay has been, you know, a derogatory term for at least 2,000 years. <laughs> I stand by my theory. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I feel like if, if you watch movies from, like, the anytime movies have been made, you know, uh, you could, A, because, like, so many villains 
in movies are like the fey, you know, sort of That's true. uber feminine dude. And, you know, any movie like from like the 80s, you know, you'll hear fag dropped every right. now and again. But not like this movie is gay. <laughs> he made it gay. Yeah, I don't know. My only like real cultural like uh, uh, landmark for, for calling something gay like that would probably be that episode of The Simpsons where Lisa's dating Nelson. Yeah. And uh, they kiss, and like the other bull is like, you kissed a girl? That's so That's gay. Right. <laughs> oh, man. You kissed a girl. That is so gay. So whenever that was, that's like... That's like 2000-ish. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it, it would have had to have been around for a couple years before that. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, well, it just, you know... I'm just going to speculate that that was where it started, and then it got... It filtered into the zeitgeist. So, uh, something for our question mark column. (laughs) Uh, There's a scene where it's like a montage of the Riddler and Two-Face wreaking havoc as like a duo. Right. (laughs) And Two-Face is teaching the Riddler how to punch people. Mm -hmm. Those guards are just standing there. Like, you, you, at least you don't see any, like, guns being, like, held to them. Yeah. There's security guards standing there motionless while, like, they get punched. And especially, like, when the Riddler punches that one dude, like, doesn't budge. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he turns away. It's not like he tries to shield himself. He just gets punched. Allows it to happen. And I'm like, what? Like, it doesn't look like anyone's about to shoot them or holding them hostage or... Forcing them, like I feel like the security guards probably should have been in action. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that just speaks to this movie being about spectacle. Yeah, way more than substance, way more than logic, <laughs> and maybe just Joel Schumacher's style in general. Uh, did you happen to notice what color the Riddler's hair was when he was in Riddler Evil Mode? <laughs> have that same note what do you know <laughs> did you happen to notice what color his hair was when he was in his cool alter ego <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i kind of noticed uh i kind of noticed that yeah it um so and we... i'm glad that you noticed it <laughs> you're helping draw awareness to the problem it was uh raising a level of discourse yeah that's what you're doing did you notice that the crazier he got and the more he sucked people's thoughts the redder his long hair would get yeah yeah but yeah, it was like the, the gayer he got, the redder his hair got. And then when he had to act straight, his hair was brunette again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, I mean, if you want to give Schumacher some credit, you could say that like, oh, the orange contrasts really well with the green that he's wearing. Mm-hmm. But that's giving him a lot of credit. Yeah. Um, he was a costume designer. That's true. But, mm. Remember when the Riddler said, spank me? Is yeah. That, is that question mark or no? <laughs> I mean, I'd spank Jim Carrey, sure. <laughs> I'll go on record saying that. <laughs> okay. That's just like maybe residual Ace Ventura yeah, coming through. It must have been. I mean, I mean, really, Ace Ventura, whatever his character's name was in The Mask and The Riddler, could all really be interchanged, more or less. Right. A few tweaks here or there, but... 
it's the same character. Yeah. And it's funny because Jim Carrey can act. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's like... And well, that is acting, I mean, yeah. when you think about it. Like, all... I think I mentioned this before. I feel like it's harder to be funnier than to be dramatic. Yeah. So, like, if you can be funny, I feel like you can do drama. Some acclaim. Sure. But I don't think you can take a dramatic actor and automatically make them funny. Right. Uh, but... So, I'll give Carrie credit for that, but even... I, you know, a couple of years ago when I rewatched the Truman Show, I'm like, mm-hmm. he's still kind of like rubber faced goon in this. Yeah. There's like, I mean, the 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 main one I always think of is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where it's mm-hmm. like, you don't mm-hmm. even, I don't even think that's Jim Carrey mm-hmm. when I watch it. Um, that's actually a really good example. With like, with the exception of maybe one scene, one or two scenes, he's, he's very reserved. And I, and I think that's it speaks a lot to him as an actor because I don't see him. I really just see the character of Joel. Um, in yeah, this movie, I definitely see Jim Carrey constantly eating the chewing the scenery. Like it's just like it's, when he's blowing out the bat <clears throat> cave. Yeah, and there's all these unneeded sound effects. Yeah, in that tiny onesie and just like rusting. Yep. Yeah, grabbing his crotch after he <clears throat> throws one of the bombs at a baseball. It. Yeah. Uh, did you notice that when there was a time when he was giving a, a press conference and the two uh, microphones you could see on the stand were W-A-Q-D, or whacked and W-A-W-K-J-B? <laughs> That's a sweet little touch. There's always, I, like, a kernel of something I can I can say about I did a not Joel Schumacher that. film that I like, you know? Huh, I did not notice that. <clears throat> There's always, like, one thing I can pick from his movies that I'm like, There! There's a filmmaker working that I can that I can respect and enjoy, huh? And it's those little things like that. But it's like that doesn't save a two-hour movie. No, <laughs> I have a question. Yes, about Two Faces coin flipping. So when they when they raid Wayne Manor mm-hmm. as a duo, well, they have their posse with them, but mm-hmm. and Two Face doesn't get involved until like the coin falls in his favor. Mm-hmm. I feel like. If you're just flipping the coin till it comes up with the choice that you want, that really defeats the purpose of the coin. Yeah. Like, he's just sitting there flipping it until it comes up the side of heads that he wants. I'm like, no, you're supposed to flip it once, and that's your decision. Yeah. Maybe it's every time he has the impulse to do something, he's flipping it. Which would be like, just remove yourself from the situation, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember I was like, yeah, if it was like, if, if it came up, take no action i feel like that's like (laughs) that's your turn in the game yeah (laughs) i don't keep rolling the dice on monopoly till i get you know the number that i want (laughs) they do not explain his duality one iota basically it's like he got acid in the face Mm -hmm. and he became crazy yeah there's no backstory zero zero backstory and actually all of these characters are one-dimensional. Yeah. There's not a single oh reason to care about anybody. <laughs> Riddler goes from, like, nobody to supervillain overnight. Yeah. Like, he gets but jilted once. basically the same character still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not too much of an extension. <laughs> um, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty frustrating for that. When the Robin suit appears, like, when Robin's in full garb for the first time. Mm-hmm. And Batman's like, who's your tailor? And Alfred's like, I took the liberty, sir. <laughs> I'm like, you got a lot of 
form-fitting, multicolored <laughs> rubber just lying around the house. This is going to come up in the next movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember if, if you've ever seen the original, original Batman movie, the one with Adam West and Burt yeah. Ward. Mm-hmm. Like, at the very beginning, there's, like, a narrator sort of introducing the characters, and it makes it sound super gay. <laughs> it's, like, millionaire, playboy, uh, Bruce Wayne, single and loving it with his young ward. Yeah. <laughs> what is a ward, anyway? <laughs> but it, it was just, yeah, the way that they announced, I'm like, oh, that's just his butt boy. Like, <laughs> Well, that scene when he's, like, when Val Kilmer is showing uh, Chris O'Donnell all the bikes... Mm-hmm. Is definitely just like dripping with. You can stay if you like. <laughs> you can ride any of these bikes. I'll even give you one if you want to fix one up. <laughs> like they do, they were watching Cinemax late night. And yeah, just like oh, this is great dialogue. <laughs> it's like I've seen this porn before. <laughs> I know how this ends. I want to uh, just real fast while you were talking about them rating Wayne Manor as a duo. He gets shot. Like, just a graze on the head. Mm -hmm. But that makes him fall down a flight of marble stairs. (laughs) And he's just like, fine. (laughs) I want to know the statistics on how many people can fall down a flight of stairs and just be okay. I imagine it's pretty low. You you know, he trained for just that (laughs) scenario. So it's like an Aikido situation where you just know how to fall. Yeah, yeah, sure. Fine. So when they're going after the two villains Mm -hmm. and the Batmobile's destroyed, Mm -hmm. so they have to take their ultimate vehicle. The Batboat, the Batplane. Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, that hideout. Who's who's looking at that hideout like, oh yeah, that's a warehouse. (laughs) That's a manufacturing department. No, that is a villain's lair. (laughs) Clearly. It has lightning bolts <laughs> coming down onto it. Anyway, that boat, bat plane. What the fuck good does that bat boat do? Nothing. It gets blown up. Also, they're playing so fast. They're playing battleship to like blow it up. But it's on like clear screens, which defeats the purpose of battleship if you can see where the other people's boats are. <laughs> Come on, Schumacher. <laughs> I mean, it took me right out of the movie. <laughs> I was on board until then. <laughs> Haven't you ever even played Battleship? But yeah, it was just like, if they're clear, it's madness. <laughs> yeah, and how worthless was that boat? I mean, he dodged like, what, yeah. three, tor- three, three charges? Yeah. And then it's like, boom. And then, yeah, he was And the bat the plane didn't last very long either, let's be honest. He used one like shot from the Which spinny where did that shot come from? Lava lamp, whatever. And that, that was. thing has killer aim. Like, how would you aim such an un like it A, it's spinning on its own accord. It's not like he slowed it down and aimed it. <laughs> it was just like, I'm gonna press this button, it hit him, he's down. He just deedled his little cane and <laughs> ready to go. His phallic canes. <laughs> um How did you feel about while well, we're you know, as they're rating this uh enemy lair? Uh the callback to the original show when Robin says, holy, holy rusted metal, that Batman. Of this movie's offensive, that is probably the least of them. I loved it when I watched it as a 15-year-old. As a I thought it was funny. Yeah. I hated it this time. I, it just felt, like, forced and I, well, dumb. I don't know if Val Kilmer was just, like, dragging his feet on it, but it's like, Chris O'Donnell says, holy rusted metal, Batman. And he's like, huh? And he's like... 
The metal, it's it's holy and rusted. Huh. Holy rusted metal, Batman! Huh? You're grown, it's all metal, it's full of holes, you know? Holy! Oh. He was over the movie at that point, he's like, what <laughs> the fuck? I'm firing my agent. He, he, it's not even full words. Huh? Uh. <laughs> Just phoning it in at this point. Like, oh uh. god, how much more movie do we have? Alright, most important question of them all. Alright. Mary, fuck, kill. <laughs> Kilmer well, O'Donnell Carey. God. Um, well, I'm gonna... Going by your standards yes i'll go ahead and marry val kilmer i mean okay i'll okay. have the bruce i'll have the bruce wayne manor to hang out i've got all those motorcycles to ride um <laughs> it sounds like fun he's handsome enough to look at we sure. don't have to talk too much and you got a big mansion yeah i mean what are the chances you can run into one another uh butler <laughs> i would well i mean yeah i'd easily fuck chris o'donnell looking Still, the way he yeah. does yeah no. jesus what a what a heartthrob <laughs> I can see why he was so popular back then. <laughs> I think there's just like he for he put in such a I have such a strong memory of him and feeling in my, you know, pubescent brain and that like I just I can't see his face and not immediately be aroused. <laughs> it's like me whenever I see like a late uh series episode of Third Rock from the Sun with uh-huh. Jay Gore. Oh, there you go. Cause uh Was that when he cut his hair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh because He's only like a year or two older than me in real life. I think he's the same age as me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so or maybe, maybe not. a little bit more. We'll look it up. We'll look. <laughs> Either way, it, it it was like when the show was airing, like it was very age appropriate. Mm-hmm. I mean, now it's like he's 17 or 18 or whatever. It's a little creepy, but like it still kind of like disarms me for a little bit. Like if I see like an episode, yeah. I'm like, oh God, he looked good back then. Yeah. Your brain just has that, that neural net like Yeah, like forged. I go back to being like 14, 15. <laughs> yeah. And like, Getting aroused by Jay Gore. Same, yeah, same, same thing here. And then I would go ahead and just kill Jim Carrey because <laughs> God, he's annoying in this movie. The the humor was really cringeworthy, especially like early on. Yeah, just with the exception of Ed Begley Jr., who I was like, I always forget he's in this. Yeah. I, could, I mean, when I watched it as a kid, I had no idea who he was. He has ten lines. Like it's easy to forget. Also, I would maybe if in that category, I would also maybe throw in that stupid gossip columnist that gets introduced. Who's like. She's just overacting. Second one. Yeah, she's also she's also yeah and the other one too. Or the she, fourth one. She's just like hamming it up. She's she's in a she's in a movie of her own. <laughs> God, she pictured. I think she won the award that um, Jenna, what's her name's character on Thirty Rock, uh, wins, which is acting dramatically <laughs> in real life. Oh, yeah, it was a Tony. I think. <laughs> uh. God, did we did we get everything for this movie? We did. Oh, real fast. Did this is just a fun fact. I have a fun fact about this movie. Uh at the end when they're um approaching the Riddler in Arkham Asylum, the doctor's name is Dr. Burton. I noticed that. Which I think is a uh, a reference Riddle. to Tim Burton. But that actor who's playing him is uh Rene Aubergenois. Oh boy. Who is um Odo from Deep Space Nine? I've not seen any deep space. Oh dear. Well, he's also the voice of um, the French chef in The Little Mermaid. Oh! Les Poissons, Les Poissons. That is fun. There you go. Fun fact. And that is the most fun thing about this movie. (laughs) 
Yes? Did you know that when it snows, my eyes become large? <laughs> and Ooh. the light that you shine can't be seen. Hmm. Baby, I compare you to a kiss from a rose on the gray. I used to think he said grave. Yeah. It's gray. It is? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. What is it? What is it? Nothing in that song. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I saw I saw a thing. I didn't read the whole article, but the AV Club was doing their, like, uh, they're doing this really great thing I love now, which is just, like, soundtracks from movies. Okay. They're, like, reviewing a bunch of them. This was one that they did. I didn't read the whole thing. But I did catch that Kiss from a Rose came out almost a full year before the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> I mean, was Seal big before? Yeah, because that was like, forever. We're Never Gonna Survive was like 93. Okay. I want to say. Okay. So he was a name already. Okay. But like, Jesus, that is really early marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you've like already, that song's like, you know, getting probably getting played to death on radio because, you know, at the, that was the time when like Warner Brothers could make anything a hit if they wanted to threw enough money at it uh-huh. and like then to have it come like the movie come out and then they've got to keep that video going and you're just like ah i see sorry that explains why i'm sick of this <laughs> you know i worked in in a music store for a long long time oh yeah and i've always had this like theory that what really killed cds wasn't the format itself it was the music industry in the 90s and how it, like, treated artists. Like, oh, yeah. In the 80s and before, you might have one album wonders. Like, there was one-hit wonders, definitely. But, like, I feel like most of the artists who were one-hit wonders were at least trying to make a good full album. Sure. And in the 90s, they just abandoned that. Yeah. They're just like, you got one song, we'll f- figure out the other 70 minutes worth of music. <laughs> And charge people top dollar for it. Yeah. And so when it came time to like, oh, I can just get this one song that I want either, you know, for a buck or for free, you know, depending on your morals. <laughs> uh, like, people were like, of course I'm going to do that. Yeah. Like, they didn't think twice about it. And like, why should they? Like, they just spent the last 12 to 15 years getting like screwed oh. by these like, you know, one hit wonders where it was like you literally had to like buy a full album for a song mm-hmm. or check out like three five bucks for like a single god uh yeah and i was like you know if i feel like if you know downloading became like a big thing in like the 70s or 80s like it wouldn't have taken over quite the way that it did right because it was still artists trying to like make a full album of good music right that was the format and I feel if the music industry hadn't like exploited like that weakness that like if we get one hit song, then it doesn't matter what the whatever else is on the CD. Yeah, I feel like that really is what pushed things to like people to go like download stuff. Like, yeah, it's easier, but I feel like the transition wouldn't have been so rough if ten to fifteen years of music buyers hadn't been like mistreated like that. Right. Uh, I think there was a certain amount of like people just thinking for themselves after a while too sure because it's like i worked at a a big corporate radio station for a while and i just remember thinking some of the songs that we 
were asked to push and and bands we were kind of asked to give free cds out of at events Mm -hmm. and things like that um it was like very clear that these record companies had an agenda of like we are going to make this band a thing sure even if it's garbage which a lot of it was yeah um and i was always so surprised how they were they were able to do that you know yeah and then i was a, I don't want to say victim, but like I fell for that stuff in the nineties. Sure, I bought so many shitty CDs. Sure, because I'd seen them on MTV and like yeah. they weren't any good. <laughs> but yeah. I was led to believe they were. Yeah, through all those, you know, through their crazy marketing and the amount of money that they would push those things through with. And I think that like yeah, somewhere in the two thousands with Napster and things like that and sharing in that way, people were sort of like, I don't have to go through your system anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have terrible taste, my <laughs> friend. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that people's taste necessarily got better, but it oh, yeah. might have gotten different. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, God, I don't want to ever trust the masses for yeah. taste. <laughs> One of the screensavers at work was uh, someone who carved Skrillex into their forearm. I was just that image. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like... Uh, What's her name? Jane from Broadcast News right now. And I said that. Just need to have a big cry. Okay. Well, Ryan, are you refreshed? Are you ready for round two? Oh, uh, yeah. Let's, uh... Y'all ready for this? <laughs> Cue Space Jam theme. I mean, if Batman Forever hurts, <laughs> Batman and Robin is, like... I mean, you know how, I don't know, I've just, after both of these movies, I just felt so gross and empty. <laughs> like, I could, and watching them, I could feel, specifically like Batman Arby's Robin. for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess I'm full, but no. I mean, you know I love my big beef and cheddar. <laughs> I could feel the seconds of my life ticking away. (laughs) It's like for most of this movie. (laughs) It's like sometimes when you see like a great movie, like it it has like a rejuvenating quality to it. And when you watch a bad movie, suddenly like the idea that like your life will end is all too apparent. (laughs) You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it was definitely like, oh my God, I need to be doing something different with my life. (laughs) So... One of the other podcasts I listen to, uh, like a, a, can can you have a local podcast? Like they're national, no matter what they are. But someone that I know personally has a podcast. Okay. uh, It's called Star Boys, and it's like purely science fiction. Okay. Uh, Specifically things relating to stars, Mm -hmm. wars, and Trek. Okay. Um, And one of the hosts, I don't remember which one now, was talking about Rogue One. And how there's sort of a return to, like, practical effects. Mm-hmm. And he phrased it in, like, a sort of a way that I like. Where he was talking about how, like, when CG came about, it sort of became this, like, quick fix to things that weren't broken to begin with. Right. That it suddenly was replacing all these things that were perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, sets and models and makeup and props and things like that. But I would challenge him to rewatch this movie and see if he <laughs> still feels like that's true. Because this has the cheapest looking sets and props oh, and gimmicks and makeup that I have ever seen in a big blockbuster. 
Ice does not look like that in <laughs> any way, shape, or form. In plastic resin? <laughs> yeah, it, it looks like either like uh, frozen super glue, or not frozen, <laughs> just solidified super glue, or it looks like glass. Yeah. Or it looks like styrofoam, like painted styrofoam. <laughs> it's it's pathetic, honestly. So, okay, we should probably introduce the movie. Uh, yeah. Well, so part two of our double feature, we watched Batman Forever, logical follow-up, Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. And, boy, if you thought Batman Forever was bad. Man, yeah. He texted me, I was, uh, when we were going over these things, like, I was, I was sad that I was watching Batman Forever, and you said, oh, well, that's the more watchable of the two. <laughs> yeah. And you were right. Yeah. It, A, so, alright, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start out with maybe some interesting points before we, like, hollow our souls <laughs> into this. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger top billing in this movie. That's right. I noticed that too. Which I think is odd for the villain. Uh, but I guess Clooney was still uh, tied to ER at the time. Right. So maybe they couldn't have a television star get billed over. He was still building his movie fame, I guess, at that point. Yeah. Or was this his first foray into that? This was. I mean, he'd been in movies. Have you not seen Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Um... So, like, he'd been in movies, but I think this was probably, like, his first, like, big summer blockbuster movie. Right. Uh, but it... Okay, so that's my only fun fact. About <laughs> that's your fun fact? I knew that in the first five seconds. <laughs> that's as fun as this movie gets. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I, I feel... I don't know if I can debate that. I feel like this is like sort of Schumacher untethered. Yeah. Well, he probably got a lice, a full creative license because Batman Forever was the second highest grossing movie of 1995. Yeah. After Toy Story. So they were probably like, you do you because you are a success which machine. Is, which is what they did with Burton. Like the first <clears throat> Batman was like this unheralded success. Yeah. Uh, and it was, like, sort of out of the blue. Like, they didn't know that it was going to be a success. It was sort of a big risk the studio took. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for Batman Returns, they're just, yeah, you be you. Just let Burton be Burton. And, and the results were great. It, but it wasn't a financial success the way the first one was. I know. It was still a financial success, or box yeah, office it success, was. but it was not the runaway that, right. yeah, the first one. And I think the same thing kind of happened here. Uh, yeah, because it... it they canceled plans for like a fifth entry. Like they yeah. had it all lined up, but it was. I w- I'd like to make a gross report out of this, but I, the numbers uh, weren't really. They weren't dramatic enough to make a gross yeah. report. Yeah, I mean, this movie made a lot of money, and it was a success. It was in the terms that it made back everything that it. it yeah, it, it's it still costs like 150 to make, and it only grossed like 250 million. Yeah. So it's not. It wasn't quite the success that they wanted. But, right. So. What's your biggest beef with this movie? God, you're gonna make me pick one. This yeah. is my Sophie's choice. If, the, if there was one issue that you took most umbrage to, the writing, the just generally the writing, because it's nothing but expo. I mean, they're constantly mm. just saying what they're doing. It's like my name is Mister Freeze, and here's how I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> now I need somebody to talk to. Like they introduce people. For him to talk to as he, like, does his plan. And then when he's done explaining that, the person goes away. Like, everybody's just telling you what they're doing mm. while they're doing it. Poison it Ivy, was... yeah. It's just, 
These are painful. my motivations. Yeah. This is what I want, and this is what I'm going to do to get it. Uh, and if they're not telling you what they're doing, they're doing horrible, horrible puns. Especially Mr. Freeze. And I like puns. See, <laughs> one of the nice things about having Arnold Schwarzenegger is, like, usually, like, you can give him a pun, and he believes it. Yeah. Like, to him, it's not, like, you know, smarmy or snarky or whatever you want to say. Like, usually, like, he owns, and that's kind of what makes it good. Like, if you see... You know, like, Hasta La Vista Baby, or, like, in yeah. his in, like, Commando, or something like that. Like, he owns it. Right. Or Predator, you know, he owns those lines. And here, I don't know if it was just overkill, or if he knew how bad they were. They weren't even good puns. No. It was like, stay cold. What does that even mean? <laughs> Nobody says that. Yeah, there's one where he's like, it's a cool town. Yeah. I'm like, You're just or shoving those town. in there. Like, that's not... A cold town is not a pun. <laughs> it's not a saying, no. even. Oh, it was just... It was... It made, it made me want to pull my hair out. And this guy went on to win an Oscar later, the writer for this movie, for um, A Beautiful Mind. Uh, like, what was that? Five years after this. Probably not even that. Four years worse. after this. I don't know. But, Jesus. Anyway. I feel like our... What our... was your? What would be yours? Oh, I don't have one. Oh. <laughs> I was just asking you. I so I feel like our rundown of this is gonna be as messy as the movie itself. Sure. Poison Ivy. I like the concept of the villain, because previously all Batman villains have just been sort of like different types of brawn. Sure. Like they're they're uh, a physical force in one way or the other. Right. And Poison Ivy is the first villain that's different somehow. She outsources that. her physical brawn. She yeah, <laughs> and even Bane doesn't really come into play that much oh I'll, I'll get to what i hated about it after the second tier character by the way <laughs> it's seriously jesus uh so yeah part of me like i like that they tried to do something different with poison ivy that it wasn't just that she made like some big plant that they had to like destroy mm -hmm. it was that she somehow manipulated their emotions okay i mean granted it was poorly written but i like the idea you know, by itself. I'll give you that, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the it, you know, the devil's in, in the delivery here. So, remember that musical scene? Like, when she kind of introduces herself as Poison oh, Ivy? the gorilla striptease. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, but yes, it's in my brain. What a weird thing to put into a movie. Like, here you have this big summer blockbuster, and they're like, Let's let's make this a little Moulin Rouge. Like, yeah, it was just the choices in this movie. I also want to know what Batman and Robin are doing at like fundraising auctions. That seems a little out of character for you know a dark. Night. Yeah, I got the impression that that was like a trap. Like the whole like putting putting these diamonds on display was a trap for Doctor Freeze. Well, it, that part was, but. It's like you're laying a trap and not hiding the net. Yeah. Like You're like you... holding the net, <laughs> waiting, like, eh? You gonna come? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like, it's a trap, but if Batman and Robin are center stage, <laughs> yeah. it sort of defeats the purpose. It's not a trap. <laughs> in, in yeah, it isn't really a trick, sense. is it? It's, we're gonna get you, here we come. <laughs> it's more like... I dare you to come get these. So Joel Schumacher, maybe it was applied to, to Batman Forever, but I think it was more applied to this one. 
he was given specific instructions by the studio to make this more action figure-y. Oh yeah, toyetic is the word. Toyetic, word. okay, yeah. okay. Uh, and that really becomes apparent. Batman and Robin, Ice Terror, Mr. Freeze launches a chilling strike. Blastwing Batman whips his massive cape to cut down the cold criminal. Now Robin comes with his red bird cycle to put evil on ice as Batgirl blasts in to send Freeze to the cooler. Batman and Robin, vehicles come with figures, Blastwing Batman sold separately. Yeah. Like, everything in here looks like an action figure. Sure. Starting from the first hockey scenes. Yeah, definitely. And just like, even like, Mr. Freeze, it's like, you know, he looks like an action figure already, which is right. fine, you know. Mr. Freeze isn't too far away. I don't hate the figure. costume design on Dr. Freeze. Or no. Mr. Freeze. And he's got a big toyetic gun. Mm -hmm. But then, like, they give him a car that kind of looks like... Yeah. And then, you know, the Batmobile, and then Poison Ivy looks like an action figure, and that seems kind of unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, to go back to my question about what... I hated the most, yeah. what I took most umbrage to. Did you notice that they just up and reused some of the same scenes? From Batman Forever? No, from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, no. <laughs> so Are you talking about when Robin gets like drowned? Yeah, there's that where like they I show did... it and then they like it goes in reverse. I did notice that. <laughs> and then when he actually gets out, they just show the same scene. I did notice yeah, I noticed that. But there's also another one at the beginning when, like, Bane is being created and Poison Ivy's being created, like, all in the same scene. Uh -huh. Like, Bane breaks free and he's like, Bane, and, like, flexes his muscles. And then, like, the, there's a scene where Poison Ivy's created and, like, she comes out of, like, the earth. And she's like, Bane, darling. And it cuts to that same scene of him going, <laughs> Bane. It's like he, it's the exact same cut for the exact same <sighs> amount of time. I'm like, how cheap is that? <laughs> is he, like, just lazy? Or is that <sighs> supposed to be played for comic effect? I don't think so, because it's not done... I mean, if it is comic effect, that's, like, real auteur-style <laughs> comedy, which has no place in this movie. No, and there's no other moments that he gives us a hint that, hey, this is what I'm doing. Because everything else is broadcast... Loud and clear. Alfred, in the first scene, as they drive away, is... <coughs> he may as well have just, like, had a little bit of blood on I, his on his On his handkerchief. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. First scene, Alfred's coughing, like, yeah, he's sick. So Alfred's sick, and he's trying to get in contact with his brother, right. Wilfred. <sighs> Alfred and Wilfred, and his brother Wilfred, also a butler. Is this... Just is this some sort of like class system I don't know about? <laughs> it, was it's Alfred an untouchable who got lucky? Like his whole family's butlers. <laughs> I I mean, thankfully, Alicia Silverstone is a computer genius, and she escaped the curse <laughs> of this of servitude. Computer genius who hacks Wilfred oh C. That is the worst. She guesses England. <laughs> And Alfred is his password. That's like, that's not giving him any credit, A. And B, she types it, it's like she's using one finger at a she, time. Yeah, like, a. but hunting and pecking. Ow. <laughs> it was the worst hack scene I've ever seen. So, I mean, Alicia Silverstone will always have a place in my heart because of Clueless, which came out, like, at a tender age for me. Like, I was, sure. like, 10 or 11 when that movie came out, I think. Yeah, 95, 94. Oh, so maybe I, was, I might have been 9 or 10. Yeah. And, like, the little gay boy inside of me was probably, like, just sprouting its wings. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so, like, I'll always hold a special place in my heart for her, for that movie. But really, she has nothing else to her credit. No. And no, besides those Aerosmith videos, but... <laughs> Do we want to go there? I don't know. <laughs> Coming up next on X-Ray. <laughs> we review crying. <laughs> in a special two-hour episode. <laughs> We go frame by frame into Aerosmith crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I would I wouldn't listen to that. <laughs> we lock ourselves in a sen- sensory deprivation tank and listen to Oh, but uh, so anyway, is she supposed to be British by the way because she has no she's accent? She's no accent. But uh, she's been living there work Going to school there. Yeah. Yeah, Oxford, right? It's called like Oxbridge or oh, something. Oh, right, right. The off-brand. <laughs> uh, Prestigious <laughs> college. It's the generic brand. Yeah. <laughs> the Amway version of Oxford. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, her lack of acting skills really comes forth in this. Oh, yeah. Also, I feel like her Batgirl really sort of demeans the whole Bat franchise. Yeah. Because uh, it, she doesn't really have any experience. At least Robin had, like, acrobatic experience. Sure. I don't know where his fighting and martial arts skills came from, but, uh, I mean, Batman presumably trained for years to become Batman. Right. Robin, you know, he's an acrobat, so he's got something, and some training. gumption. You're hired. Yeah. But she has nothing. <laughs> she just... I think they try to, like, develop a daredevil spirit in her by doing that... You mean in the lamest motorcycle pointless race? Pointless motorcycle race. So, you know how that motorcycle race ends? Where it's like, they get tricked to, like, go over, like, the bridge to nowhere? Kind of. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, they get tricked, and it's like a bridge that has, like, half fallen apart. Okay. And, like, they skid off their motorcycles and fall down, and it's like... Uh, and Robin locks his feet to, on, like, the, uh, splayed rebar that's, like, on the edge oh, of yeah. the broken. Oh, okay. yeah, okay. And, like, grabs her as she's about to fall. Mm-hmm. So his feet are locked in this, like, jagged rebar, and he's, like, holding on to her, and, like, she's like, ugh, you had to save me, and it's like, you were gonna die. <laughs> uh, but then they don't actually show how they, like, they get up from that. Like, no. Why would you? Uh, I, and I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, when Alfred Hitchcock does it in North by Northwest, like, <laughs> lifting What's-Her-Face up from Mount Rushmore, well, he's a cinematic genius. <laughs> but when Joel Schumacher does it, I'm like, no, he's a hack. <laughs> I'm like, that is lazy cinematic storytelling. Yeah. This whole movie... It's I mean, got... that motorcycle race was lame. Yeah, I totally tuned out. Like We're talking about it now, and I don't remember a scene from it. All I remember is that there was neon punks that they were racing against. Right, and, and Coolio. Was also, oh yeah, Coolio <laughs> was there. Uh, I just remember there was neon punks in Batman Forever as well. Right. That like that's what like Robin cuts his teeth on is like fighting them. Yeah. And then they're here as well, and yeah. And Coolio they're different gangs. It felt like the Warriors a little bit. Warriors come out to play. Where yeah. it's like different gangs are wearing different matching outfits, have different wigs. There was like a weird sort of clockwork orangey game. Yeah, yeah. 
It really sucked. On the topic of Mr. Freeze's puns, mm-hmm. which there was, I mean, really, most of his lines were puns. I just remember there's one where he's like freezing police officers and he's going, chill, <laughs> chill. But I, I swear to God, he says it like six, seven times. Yeah. And he's like, chill, are you laughing? Chill, are you laughing at? Chill, are you laughing? I'm like, no, we got the point the first time. <laughs> no, not laughing because it's not funny. <laughs> All right, everyone. Chill. 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 Yeah. He. I kind of got like car sick watching this movie because <laughs> his whole set design. For basically every scene was like flashing lights, moving lights, spinning gobos in the background. Yeah. Just like constant movement. Mr. Freeze's lair, like A, was like the least hidey out hideout ever. Right? It That's was the like first an, place you'd look. I, it was like a frozen food factory or ice cream factory. But it was like fully lit with spotlights on it. I'm like... And it was, like, in the middle of the city. I'm like, who's not checking here? Yeah. A guy who can only exist in cold, hiding out in the middle of the city in a big freezer warehouse with spotlights going across <laughs> it. It's shaped like a goddamn snowman. I know. It's um, it's frustrating, because it's like, he's, like, are you making a movie that is supposed to be completely silly with a bunch of action sequences here and there yeah because if that's the case i mean there's i need some substance this movie has zero substance it's all just spectacle yeah and like eye candy yeah and you know you feel sick after eating (laughs) you know 10 minutes of it like i don't want any more and it's two damn hours long yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of like cotton candy, I guess, where when you smell it, you're like, oh, that smells good. I'm going to get it. And then you taste it and it's poison. <laughs> like, how much cotton candy can you really eat before you vomit? Like, yeah. two bites, three bites? That's like a Joel Schumacher film. Yeah. It's... It's just a really, really bad movie. <laughs> I mean, there's, like, this scene, Robin gets, you know, frozen by Dr. Freeze early on. Which, they would all die immediately. Yeah, no, they have 11 minutes every time. That's not and... how that works. Like, <laughs> as they're being thawed, like, they would suffocate. It's like, it's like that bad, you get, like, bad information as a kid. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, gum stays in your stomach for seven oh, years yeah. or something like that. It's like, that's... Mr. Freeze, Dr. Freeze, told that to Batman. He's like, you have 11 minutes. And he just internalized that. Yeah. So throughout the rest of the movie, everyone's like, oh no, there's only 11 minutes left. <laughs> I mean, what if Mr. Freeze lied? Yeah. Is that, beyond, is that too evil? Or just... <laughs> Can Mr. Freeze will kill people, but he won't lie. <laughs> He's trustworthy. He's telling us his plans, like, straight up. <laughs> it's straight up. We don't have, I mean, we have no reason not to believe him. Uh, I mean, you're holding your stomach like you're sick, right? <laughs> I am a little bit because it's reminding me how much I hated watching it.
guess, like, I mean, we can start talking about maybe Joel Schumacher in a larger, broader sense at this point. Yeah, I gotta get off this topic. Because, like, this movie's making me ill. Um, I feel like he's, A, he always chooses style oh, yeah. over sense or substance. And that's not necessarily a bad impulse, but... Uh, it, I feel like he just has bad taste, you know? Like, <laughs> it doesn't go, it doesn't work right. So what other Schumacher films did you watch in preparation for this? I watched the number 23. Oh my god. Did and... you buy Jim Carrey as a, as a bad boy saxophone player? No. No. <laughs> no. I didn't, I didn't buy a lot of that movie. <laughs> um, and I started to watch Phone Booth, but I didn't get all the way through it. Okay. He's just like, but it, it was the same. I mean, I still have the same feelings where he's like, he sacrifices meaning for style. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you can do that well. I've, I'm having trouble thinking of a, a director who does that, but it's like almost, well, like just look at Batman Returns. I mean, that is a very super stylized movie. Oh, yeah. That has like a filmmaker's, a good taste level to it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, He's able to introduce Oswald Cobblepot in those first five minutes of the movie before the credits even roll. Yeah. And it's not like the parents are all, oh dear, we have a flipper baby now. <laughs> we must dump it in the river. You yeah. Because like, it's, it's totally dialogueless, yeah. those opening scenes in Batman Returns. That, like, he's using the medium, whereas, yeah. like, Schumacher would probably be like, okay, we need some spinning lights. Yeah. I want to make sure. There's like arrows pointing at the baby. It, it's a little, it's a little Michael Bay ish. Yeah, it, it's, where everything it's, needs to be it's dynamic. Brand of Bayham, where like instead of just like having shapes and objects, it's lights and colors. Yeah, because yeah, I mean Michael Bay doesn't like go over the top with like costumes and lighting and stuff like sure. that. Sure, it's just like the objects on the screen and like what they're doing. Yeah, or camera movement. Um, but he. He also kind of just, he just strikes me as someone who thinks he's a really great artist, Joel Schumacher, mm -hmm. um, and he's really good at convincing people with money that he is. Sure. So they kind of give him license to do what he wants, but he's not, and he's got, he's like one of those people that like shows art in a gallery that's like actually not like a, a great gallery, but you know, big enough that people will come on first Thursday and like <laughs> they they always check it out even though you know the art in there sucks and he's he's always and Joel Schumacher's always able to convince this curator that like no 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 this time it's different because blah 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 and every time it's just like this horrible tasteless piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i watched probably too many schumacher films <laughs> in preparation for this and i wanted to watch more i ran out of time <laughs> uh so i watched flatliners okay which definitely has, like, a style over substance thing. Mm -hmm. um, starts out promising. Like, I like the premise of, yeah. like, people... I remember those blue bed, like, things The that whole movie's kind of blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my problem with that is, like, in, in that, like, the afterlife, like, the other side, mm -hmm. is just, like, a Stephen King nightmare. Like... It's a flashback to your childhood of some trauma that's coming back to haunt you. Right. And I'm just like, that's not what... At least, I don't think that's what the afterlife would be. Yeah. I don't know. It just felt like a really stupid afterlife. Like, they weren't dying. Like, 
this is like the trauma that you do like when you like go back in time in your head right so that was like my beef i was like you have this like lovely little premise here that like you don't do anything right. i think it's squandered yeah. yeah uh watch the lost boys okay that but, one is i think kind of the one to put him on the map wasn't it St. Elmo's Fire was, oh, was earlier, okay. yeah, but I think in terms of, like, his, his uh, what he sharpened his teeth on uh, for camp, mm-hmm. it comes from the Lost Boys. Okay. Um, and Lost Boys isn't... I really wanted to get to Lost Boys, I didn't. It's not terrible. I have noticed that there is this, like, theme in 80s movies of, like, sort of kids or young adults, like, rebelling against, like, evil parents, mm-hmm. uh, or evil adults, I should say, not parents. I mean, it's definitely there in Lost Boys, because it's, you know, spoiler alert, uh, the guy who runs the video rental store is, like, the head vampire. Okay. Uh, I don't remember that. I believe you, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making this up. I know, I just don't remember that movie very well, I guess. Go ahead. Um, but it's, like, Red Dawn was that way. It was, like, Patrick Swayze when he was still, like, a young adult, and, like, his little brother, like, fighting communists, or, like, mm-hmm. Home Alone. Sure. Like, you know, protect... And Lost Boys has sort of a Home Alone-esque... Uh, like, they have, like, booby traps, so it's all, like, garlic and holy water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Lost Boys isn't bad, but it's not great. Uh, what else did I watch? Falling Down, which is good, but, you know, I can't describe it. Like, I couldn't talk about it for 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, but oddly enough, that's probably his best movie that I've seen of his. Yeah. You should, I mean, give Phone Booth a try. It's, yeah? like, it's a fun premise. It's... I mean, give it a try. <laughs> and I did watch St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, okay. Uh, Which is a huge exercise in style over substance, I would say. Yeah, it's also like a parade of like the worst qualities in men. <laughs> like, every guy in there is either like obsessive or abusive or rapey. Yeah. And they never get called out on it. it, it like, he approaches it with like, boys will be boys. <laughs> Gross. Uh, and like, the girls are like largely like virginal saints. Like, one is actually like a virgin in the movie. Uh, fun fact, the girl who plays the virgin was pregnant during filming. Uh, Immaculate conception. <laughs> uh, with the exception of Demi Moore, who's like the lying drug, right. the druggy tramp who like, yeah. And I remember you were talking about how there's like a scene where like, she's like dealing with her ennui as like curtains. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, okay, I see it. <laughs> it looks like a music video. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's the oh I meant to watch because apparently Joel Schumacher directed the Kiss from a Rose video, and maybe the Kiss Me or maybe it was the Smashing Pumpkins one from the second one. From the second. From one. Batman and Robin. What Smashing Pumpkins song? The the beginning is the end is the beginning is in the middle of the end or something <laughs> like that. I don't remember. It in, I know it's song you're talking about. But I don't remember it in the movie. I think that's from that song though. Okay. Uh, but he directed. I think he directed that too. I the only to watch pop him. song I remember from Batman Returns though is like Susan Sue song, which is, yeah, or which Susan Banshee's. Yeah, that's it's Batman Returns though. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that one's great. Did I say Batman Returns? I meant Batman and Robin. Oh, I don't remember. Okay, well, I I feel like Joel Schumacher missed his opportunity and should have been just be a fabulous costume designer. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm sure he, he was that, but I, but like he should have just been a music video director. I'll bet he'd be mm. amazing at that. Yeah. You know? Tight, compact, stylish, three Visually minutes. interesting. Yeah. Like, 
boom, dude. Especially in the, during the 90s when, like, music videos were, like... Still a thing? <laughs> yeah, where they cost, like, millions and millions of dollars to make. Yeah. Well, I'll bet that... I mean, like, and music video directors got launched to bigger careers. A lot of them, like Spike Jones and... Michelle Gondry. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe he didn't want to go backwards, but... Dude, that's your medium. <laughs> uh, David Fincher. David Fincher, yeah. Uh, who directed the uh, Madonna's Vogue. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, I know. That's right? a great video. Yeah, it is a great video. <laughs> um, I mean, out of Madonna's catalog, that's probably like her most like widely recognized video. Sure. Yeah. So. Stuck in my brain. <laughs> Um, I don't know, Jolie, like... (laughs) I want to love you. I want to, buddy. I mean, that's sort of one of the things with, like, gay directors is, like, gay people have been, like, the gatekeepers of taste and fashion Mm -hmm. for centuries. (laughs) But for some reason, it took us a while to, like, get our footing with film. Yeah. Like, you have Michael Rainier Fassbinder. Right. The German dude. Other than that, and then there's Kenneth Anger, who whose films I don't like. Yeah, I haven't actually watched them uh, on their own. I've only seen them playing in the background at at Pony. So I mean, then you've seen them. Yeah. Like sitting down and watching, you're not going to get anything <laughs> greater out of them. Okay, but it's like when I watched what was it, Scorpio Rising? Like, yeah, I want to see like leather motorcycle Nazis, gay Nazis. Like, yeah. like that sounds great. But it's like when you watch it, you're like, eh, like there's yeah. nothing to it's it. It's sort of like Bruce LeBruce, where you're like, oh, I hate you're speaking my language. Movies. And like, I, there's so many of his that I look, and on paper, it sounds like, yes, this sounds awesome. And then you watch it, and it's just painful. <sighs> Auto or Up with Dead People, where no. the star he saw from his profile picture on MySpace. I wanted to like that movie so oh, much. So I was bad, so though. excited for it. I know, so and it wasn't bad. good. I mean, it's too bad because I, the, I like that that Joel Schumacher kind of gaze up his movies. Yeah, you know? like I, I want to, you know, enjoy in sort of him uh, sexualizing or objectifying. Yeah, and there are moments like you know I was talking about. There's just like kernels in every one of his movies I've seen. That's just like that's good filmmaking. Like even in Batman and Robin, I can't believe I'm saying this. The scene where Poison Ivy kicks out the tube that's like keeping uh, Doctor Freeze's wife alive. Mm, uh-huh. There's like she kicks it and it's a low shot, and then the bubbles that are bubbling up stop, mm. and he follows the line of the mm-hmm. bubbles going up. It's like that's good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like that's ten seconds of the movie, but it's like there you go. That's directing. That's a good choice. And yeah. then like. You know, he squanders the rest of it. But it's like, I know there's a filmmaker in there. Yeah. And I can, like, he's, he can obviously make a film. Yeah. And, but it's like, and I just, I want to believe there's a really good filmmaker in there, but I just haven't seen it yet, you know? I mean, that was one thing when watching St. Elmo's Fire is like, this is a totally competent director. Yeah. Like, he can direct a movie start to finish, and, like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like he's only got, you know, a couple good scenes in him. It feels right. like he can, if he puts his mind to it, direct, like, an entire film, you know, to some high standard. Yeah. There's a, there's a really good director in there, and I, I feel like he's got one good movie in him that 
still hasn't been made, <laughs> or maybe I just yeah. haven't seen it. Maybe that one with um, Kate Blanchett is amazing, but <laughs> I don't know. I just want I just want him to be better. I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Schumacher, we love you. Just like a brother, <laughs> a little brother who like, just can't yeah. quite get it right. Yeah, even an older brother, I don't care. Yeah, you're like that fuck up older brother that like still lives with their parents. <laughs> like you got your college degree, but it was in like sandcastles, <laughs> and so now you can't get a real job. He's the he's sort of like the guy on Gates of Heaven who's like. Actually, no. Actually, am I remembering that movie correctly? Uh, the one that hauls sand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember a little bit. It's been a million years since I've seen that movie, but. <sighs> this all said, Joel, you're welcome to come on the podcast. <laughs> wow. Ballsy. <laughs> I, I mean, defend yourself. <laughs> Let's talk about it. I'll tell you what, Joel, if you come on, not only will you get water with ice, we'll give you whatever beer Ryan didn't drink tonight. Whoa! <laughs> Fair enough. And we'll let you rip into us. <laughs> tell us what's wrong with the podcast. We'd love, I would love to hear <laughs> how he would dress it up. Let's just see what you've got, Joel. You can direct an episode of the podcast. <laughs> oh my god. That would be amazing. It'll gross $250 million. <laughs> but it will have Only cost. one star re- reviews on iTunes. Yeah. But everyone will listen to it. <laughs> uh, that feels like we've got it pretty well covered, huh? I think so. Um, so since this is a double episode, there will not be an episode next week. Yes. But we, we need time to recover. Yeah, that was that was rough. We will be following up two weeks from now with I think it's your choice yes uh, I have a, a special episode 11 challenge <laughs> okay because uh, this movie is in theaters for a limited time oh okay uh, a special new print of the movie Tampopo oh uh, yes so that one is, is shown around town only for like three days okay uh, but get ready to you know See some sex and food <laughs> blended together in a perhaps savory combination. Oh my. I feel like I've heard about this movie. It's sort of a classic in certain circles. Okay. Um, and it's definitely a very good film. Okay. Uh, good. I need a good one. Yeah. So this one we're going to see in the theater, hopefully together. Okay. Uh, if we can make the time for it. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but what yeah. if we just start, like, are you free, uh, and keeps us all on the podcast? <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well. Junk plugging. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. We have a Twitter account, which uh, is. X-Rated Movies. And we also have a Facebook page. Rated X Movies. And an email account. X.Rated.Movies at gmail.com. And that's checking account number is. <laughs> I think it's just pound 69 over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> I tried that. I always <laughs> um, yeah, so thanks for listening. I said that already. I'm delirious. Uh, yes, thank you again for listening. Uh, 
we hope you tune in next time. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks with Tampopo. Bye. <laughs>